I'm glad you're here. I hope you're glad you're here too. Thank you for encouraging us. Yesterday, my family began the day with a rousing game of payday. Does anybody know this game? You know which one? It's a board game. And if you don't know it, I'll just briefly explain it to you. As you can tell, it's called Payday. And what's interesting about this game is basically it's it's very simple. There's one die or dice or however that's said. One of those things that you roll. And you begin with this thing in your hand and there's several spots along the board. As you can tell, some of them are good ones like Payday. And others are not so good like Medical Bills or auto bill, or home repairs, etc. And you can determine at the beginning of the game how many times you're going to go around the board. And there's other uh, various uh, elements of chance mixed in. For example, there can be uh, investment opportunities where there are various investments and you could pay, say, $1,000 to invest if you have it. If not, you can take a loan. And you can decide, you know, how far along you are in the game and how many opportunities you might have to land on a buyer later on, in which case you'll make a profit. And if you don't, then you just lose the investment. So it's all kinds of fun because you're, you're rolling the die and you don't know what's going to happen and you're excited and you're spending your money. And of course, as you know, children love to take their parents' money, right? And of course, the same was true yesterday. I lost... Um, I had 2,000, my son had 4,000, I was out. And what was, what was interesting about this game as I thought about it is what a unique and, and very realistic picture of life it is because so much uncertainty is built in and so much opposition comes along the way. There's no way... For us to determine the outcome of this game. I mean you can figure probabilities and everything else. But I just don't think you're going to figure it out. And ultimately it comes down to. You know the roll of the die in this game. And for us as adults. You know in a game we think wow that's fun. You know and we see our kids get all upset about it. And we kind of laugh at them. But in a similar way. The same thing happens to us in life. Because you know we roll the die. We make an investment. We make a purchase. We don't. But ultimately, we're sitting there going, wow, I don't know the end from the beginning. I don't know how this thing is going to turn out. What's going to happen? There's uncertainty. There's opposition. There are all kinds of obstacles. For that reason, the Apostle Paul concludes 1 Corinthians in this way. He's going to give a bunch of, uh, you know, logistics he's got to take care of he's got to make some uh travel arrangements he's got to take care of his itinerary he's got to say a few goodbyes but ultimately he gives one final summary concluding charge that's going to tell you how then should we live in a world full of uncertainty and opposition what do we do because to us from where we're sitting it seems like the role to die and whatever comes comes how in the world do we live in light of that 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 through 14 are going to answer that. I'm going to read that first verse to you, then I'm going to go back and reread the whole thing. But here is the summary charge. Here's the point as Paul thinks about this big letter in which he addressed a number of different issues. 
And he all comes down to basically this one thing. In verses 13 through 14, he says, Be watchful, therefore, church. Stand guard. Be ready. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. Now, as we read this final section, don't miss that charge. You're going to hear a lot of uh, details about where he's going, what he thinks he's going to be doing. This is just like your life and my life. We try to plan things out, but we're not exactly sure how they'll go in the end. And this is what the apostle is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. That's the 16th chapter, final chapter, the book of Corinthians, as we conclude this expositional series today. You're on page 1224 if you're in a blue Bible, or you can just push the button on your iPad, whatever you want to do. 1 Corinthians 16, beginning verse 5. Wrapping up his letter to the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. For I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some real quality time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, here's some logistics. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work just as I am. And so let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now, concerning our brother Apollos, we talked about him earlier in chapter 4, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers. But it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has an opportunity. Here's the summary charge then, verse 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. Now, some more details. I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. In other words, this is the family that was instrumental in the planning of the church. And like Dr. Bortle said this morning, they have been faithful from the beginning to the end. You should respect these people. By the way, I think we have people like that in our congregation as well. People that have been here for a long time, that have been faithful, you should respect them. Side note. For they refreshed my, let's see here, be subject to such of these, verse 17, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Acacius because they have made up for your absence for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours give recognition to such people now as his final benediction then the churches of Asia send you greeting Aquila and Priscilla together with the church in their house send you hearty greetings in the Lord all the brothers send you greetings greet one another with a holy kiss I Paul write this greeting with my own hand Now, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Come, Lord Jesus, our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good job, church. You made it through this entire book. 
And it's been a big study, and I hope it's been a good study for you as well, moving forward, being all in in God's church. Let's address the first thing that I hinted at in the story of payday, that is uncertainty. The idea of uncertainty. Is there uncertainty in life? Of course there is. Of course there is. Look at how James, the brother of our Lord, says it in the fourth chapter of his book. He says, come now. You say there's no uncertainty? Really? Today or tomorrow we will go into such a, such a place and such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. If we are honest, I think the majority of us would admit we cannot predict the future. We can't even predict the market. Yes, there are all kinds of complex um, algorithms and all sorts of other things we can do. But in the end, life possesses a tremendous amount of uncertainty. We don't know the end from the beginning. We can't see that far. We do not know what the outcome will be. And so, consequently, therefore, when we make our plans, we need to take that into account. That's why in verse 15, James says, um, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Now, let me make a very specific application here. Some churches that you go to will actually um, tell you something different. They will say to you, it demonstrates a lack of faith for you to pray if the Lord wills. But I say to you, it is the exact opposite. It is instead an act of faith to say if the Lord wills. Because what you're saying is that I don't know the end from the beginning. I don't know the future. There is only one who does and I humbly submit myself to his plan, whatever that might be. I hope for this. But I don't know what the outcome is going to be. So I ask for this. But I trust him for what's best. That's a different prayer than saying, God, you've got to give me this. In fact, I say, and I think the Apostle Paul and even Christ himself, that the real prayer is not my will, but thine. That is an act of faith. And so when you make your plans and when you pray... Yes, use wisdom. Yes, do everything you can to prepare for the future. But then at the end of the day, humbly admit, hey, we don't know. We are trusting God. We've done our best. We planned. We prepared. We researched. We did our homework. But at the end of the day, the horse is made ready for battle. But the Lord determines the victory. It's in his hands. And so the apostle does this in verse 7. Look, he says, look. I do, I, I do not want to see you just in passing. I want to spend some real time with you. If the Lord permits. If God gives me this opportunity. Now the game of payday plays in here perfectly. Because as I was watching my children play this game, it, I knew it was going to be much more complicated than just playing the game. Right? Because you can have all kinds of issues. People aren't going to get what they want. And what happens then? Ah, you know, we're mad. Oh, man, give me that back. That's mine. I wanted that. Oh, you can't take it. You know, and we're going to have to manage this. We're going to have to work through these expectations. And so we go like this with one child. I said, okay, let's do this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop. Before you roll the die, let's pray. 
Okay? Act of faith, Dad. Here we go. Let's see what's going to happen. What, what one do you want? And he looked ahead, and he's like, I want a two. That's the one I want to land on. I want a two. Because two gives me like $50. I'm like, okay. Let's pray for a two. Close his eyes. Dear Lord, please give me a two. <laughs> Boom. He rolled. He got a six. We counted ahead six. And it was not $50, but it was $1,000. He was like, all right. And then dad said, well, I better try this too. So dad prayed, and he's praying for $1,000, right? What did he get? A bill. <laughs> you know, and it happens that way. And I said, both, in both instances, I stopped after we rolled and after we prayed and then we played. I said, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. We need to stop because we asked God for something. He didn't give you or me what we wanted. He gave us both something different. And whatever it was that he gave, we need to thank him for it. And so even though I got a bill, at that point I had to say, Lord, I wanted to make money, but you sent this bill my way and I need to say thank you because I trust you got a better plan than I do. You know what's involved here. The salvation of my soul is at stake. You are sanctifying me. You are growing me through this experience. I am becoming more close to you and growing in my faith as a result. God, thank you for this bill. I did a pretty good job of that in payday. (laughs) It's a little bit different in life, isn't it? That's tough, you know, because you can sit there and go, well, it's just a game, but boy, it's sure good practice. In that game, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty involved. And if you're playing against your family, there's opposition as well. <laughs> you know, they're trying to win and they don't want you to win. And you're, pray, you're play, praying and playing for this certain outcome and it's no guarantee. But the whole way through, you're saying, Lord, this is what I want. Not my will, but yours. If it's your will, Lord, give me this. I don't know where I'm going to land. I don't know how it's going to go. I'm hoping for the best. This is the best I can do, but Lord, please, let's see what comes. And then, when it does, you trust Him for it, regardless of what it is. And that's the tricky part. And that's why the Apostle is concluding his letter in this way. He's saying, hey, look, life is filled with uncertainty, even for me, even for the Apostle, who brings Eutychus back from the dead. That's pretty good. Nope. There's still uncertainty there. There's also opposition. Now, you know this, but uh, I am no scientist. But let me just speak in a dangerous way in hopes of communicating to my audience. Here we go. Ready? Newton's third law. Uh, For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Am I good so far? Yes, okay. Haven't made any mistakes yet. I wrote it down so I wouldn't go too far. Don't quiz me on it afterwards. A force is a push or a pull that acts upon an object as a result of its interaction with another object. Forces result from interactions. Amen? Scientists know that. Homemakers know that as well. Some forces result from contact interactions and other forces result from action at a distance interaction. Now, according to Newton, whenever objects A and B interact with each other, they exert forces upon each other. So, for example, when you sit in a chair, you push down on the chair, and the chair pushes back on you. 
This is happening. Anytime you try to do something, there is an action and an equal and opposite reaction. In other words, there is always opposition. There is always resistance. Even if you're walking down the road, you have the wind, the air, and the friction of your feet. You're encountering something. Anytime you move forward, you will experience opposition. If you experience no opposition in life, which direction are you going? More than likely backwards. If you're smooth sailing straight ahead, going fast, full steam, you're probably headed for the edge of a cliff, perhaps even Niagara Falls. Yeah, it's great. We're moving along. No opposition here. Boom. Down you go. If you are all in and moving forward, you will no doubt experience some opposition. We would like to come to you as an elder board and say, here's our plan. Woo! We got it. Rolled it out, no problem. Boom! The, you know, the deficit is gone. The church is packed. We're building new buildings. Other churches are coming to us and saying, hey, what are you guys doing? That's awesome! We would love for that to be the case. But even the Apostle Paul himself, the greatest church planner in the history of the world experienced opposition. Look at verse 8. He says, hey, I've got a wide door for effective ministry. Woohoo! Here we go. And there are many adversaries as well. There's great opposition. Anytime you're doing right, anytime you're moving forward, there is opposition. Timothy Paul says it to him like this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why? Well, Ephesians tells us because we're we're not struggling against the world. We're, We're wrestling against flesh and blood, against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Man, this is a fight. It's for real. And you are going to encounter opposition in your spiritual life, in your daily life, in your relational life, in your church life, everywhere. The devil will attack you from any place he can. It's part of life. It is part of living in a fallen world and having an active enemy. There will be uncertainty and there will be opposition. In life or in ministry, this is the way it is. So then, how do we deal with it? What do we do? Verses 13 and 14. Be watchful and stand firm. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. Payday. This is it. You roll the dice and come what may, you respond well. You stand firm. You be alert. You pay attention. You be courageous. That's what act like men means. And you respond well. With courage and honor. So I'm going to use those two terms to guide us through the rest of the sermon. Courage and honor. Courage 
being to stand firm, be watchful, act like men, and honor how you handle it, how you handle what comes. So the point is, how do we deal with uncertainty? Well, we meet it head on with courage and honor. So what does that look like? Well, the best example, I I mean, I can't come up with anything better than what's in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, This is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I'm going to read to you basically chapter 3 and parts of it. And I want you just to follow along in your mind. It's not going to be up on the screens. If you want, you can turn in your Bible. But Daniel chapter 3, and I'm just going to read you the story. And I want to show you in the ancient world what courage looks like. And then I'm going to bring it back and show you in the modern world, in our situation, in our context, in our culture, what courage looks like. As well, So here's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. What does it look like to respond well in a spot of uncertainty in opposition? Here it is. This is it. Daniel chapter 3. What happens is this. Is they're in Babylon. They were taken captive. And there's this king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. He goes out and makes an image of gold. And the herald proclaims aloud, here's the deal, everybody. You're commanded, O peoples and O nations and languages, that when you hear the music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Well, that's pretty clear. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound, they knew what they were going to do. All the nations and people and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. However, verse 8 says, At that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. In other words, anti-Semitism is no new thing. And they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You're so great, O king. You've made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the fiery furnace. Right, king? Yeah, that was it. Now, king, you should know there are certain Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, men, O king, pay no attention to you and your decrees. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king, and he said to them, Is it true? Would you really defy me? You don't serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? I'll show you. If you do not, you will immediately be cast into the burning furnace. And what God can deliver you? Let's see it now, Jews. How's that (laughs) for opposition? Religious freedom? Tolerance? Not if it doesn't agree with the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In a very tight spot. Full of uncertainty. And full of opposition. Respond like this in verse 16. Say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. We have no need to answer you. 
If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, there is the built-in ambiguity. We don't know. Let's see. If he does not, be it known, even if he doesn't, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Who? There's courage. So they had the courage. Now what happens? Well, here's the response. Nebuchadnezzar is filled with fury. He orders that the furnace be heated seven more times than it was usually heated. He ordered some of the mighty men to bind them and throw them in. And Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all all three of them, were bound and thrown into the furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. And he says to his men, hey, didn't we cast three guys in there? And weren't they bound? And yet, when I look in there, I see four and nobody's bound. And they're all walking around. Guys? And they said to the king, true, O king. That's true. They're walking around. They're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like one of the sons of God. And Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace. And he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair on their head wasn't even singed. Their cloaks weren't harmed. They didn't even smell like smoke. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted him, and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Courage and honor. They prayed. They build in the ambiguity. And they say, come what may. Let's see what happens. Here we go. We're trusting God. Monotheists who stood their ground in the face of polytheism, conducting themselves with courage and honor. A tremendous example for us. Now, when you leave this building, what's going to happen? You'll see a big golden idol and someone outside is going to tell you to bow down to it and worship or are you going to get thrown in a furnace? Probably not. However, there are certain things in our culture that we are asked to bow down to at this time. And the rulers of this land are sending forth a very clear message. Let me give you an example. Before I even say this word, you can see my heart is racing a bit faster because I know that as I approach this subject, I will experience opposition. No doubt. Homosexuality. What are we being told? Fitness chains, athletes, politicians, media, 
current administration, rulers of the land, our entire culture going one direction. What does God say? What will you do? Where do you stand? The message is clear. How will you respond? Will you stand firm? You're going to have an opportunity right after our service. If you're a member of our church, a few weeks ago there was put in your box a constitutional revision. We're doing that on purpose, not as a reaction to our culture, but as an affirmation of all that we believe. There's a statement in there regarding homosexuality. Not only homosexuality, but also sexuality and several other things as well. And we want to make it clear that here we stand. We stand firm. Yes, we know we will experience opposition. But here we stand. Come what may, our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, here we stand with courage and honor. It's going to be difficult, but here we are. What does God say? Homosexuality is, of course, not the only place in our culture we're challenged. Sexuality itself, you know, sex sells, right? That's nothing new. Let me give you a little hint, gentlemen. It's not the clone that will make her want you. It's how you treat her. Treat your wife with respect. Church, stand firm. What are you going to do when the going gets rough? Bail out or row harder? Stand firm. Your family, I know they cost you money. They cost you time. You don't get to do all the things you want to do. Sometimes it's difficult. The relationship's not fun. You have to sacrifice. What are you going to do? Bail out? Are you done? Live your life? Do what you want? You're going to hang in there. Stand firm. Courage and honor. What about the workplace? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on around you, and I know it's not your job to be the police, pastor, cops, or anything else. There's a good chance that there's someone in that environment who you have established relationship with, you have built rapport, and they know you and they trust you. When something happens, what are you going to do? You're going to let evil go unchecked? Or in grace and love, are you going to respond? What are you going to do? Courage and honor. It is time to meet the opposition and the uncertainty head on. To be courageous is to faithfully carry out one's responsibilities and not give in to fear or hopelessness or let them interfere with one's duty. Courage is saying we are outmanned, we are outgunned, we are overwhelmed, and we are going anyways. It is volunteering to take point. It's the head of the line. It's willing to take the risk, suffer the loss, and experience defeat because you believe in the cause. Courage is not looking for a fight. Courage is not making issues of non-issues. 
Courage is not using means of manipulation like power or sex or money or anything else to get what you want. That's called bullying. Courage is doing the right thing regardless of the risk. Call the question. Stand up. Take the heat. Yes, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty in our world. Yes, you will experience opposition. But look, I'm telling you these things. John 16:33 in red says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Yep, no doubt. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Where is your victory? Victory in Jesus. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us then hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And, listen to the qualifier, let all that you do be done in love. If there is no honor, then courage is not courage, it is tyranny. One commentator says it like this. He says, strength without love risk becoming tyrannical. But love without strength deteriorates into mere sentimentality. You've got to have both. And that's why the apostle in this charge, he starts out with stand firm, stand firm, be strong, be strong. But he doesn't leave out the love part either. He pairs them together so that you do both. You respond strong, you stand firm. But you do so with honor and integrity. Not compromising your witness or your faithfulness to Jesus along the way. Courage and honor. Let me give you a couple practical applications on honor and then we'll quit. Honor looks like this. If there is a disagreement... Then you seek understanding. You ask genuine questions, not rhetorical ones, not loaded ones, but instead ones that are guided to help you. You seek first to understand before being understood. You're not always trying to be right. You're not trying to get your own way. But instead, you are genuinely entering into this difficult conversation for the sake of the other person. Not because you want to, but because you love them and you desire to help them. You are looking out for their best interest and, if necessary, sacrificing your own. Seeking the good of the whole, even if it costs you. The other day, we um, had our last soccer game of the season. And this was an exciting time because, you know, that that took some courage for me, (laughs) is volunteering to be coach and seeing if we could do it. And we made it. It's the last game. It's like, whoo, all right, (laughs) you know. I will see you next season or never again, one or the other. Not sure. But, no, I had a great time with most of the children. (laughs) Most. But here's the deal, is we had two children. One plays, one doesn't. And we told them, the child that doesn't play, hey, you can go to this game. And you can go to the game and you might even get to play because some of our kids are leaving in the second half to go try out for Fusion. And I may not have enough players, so you'll go in as (laughs) so-and-so. You know, we'll see what we can do. You know? 
And what happened was, is that my son, who came down with uh, that day, who was supposed to sub, came down with a fever. And he'd been looking forward to playing all week long. He was so excited he was going to get to play up on his big brother's team. And we're like, oh boy, here we go. What do we do? Do we keep, you know, uncertainty? We didn't know. We didn't plan. We couldn't have predicted. Yes, we kind of made this promise, but now what do we do? Here we are. I should have said, if the Lord wills, you know. <laughs> Duh. But what actually happened is I said, sure, you can do this. And now he's looking forward to it. And yet he's got a fever. He can hardly move. He's running, just moping around the house. And we're like, okay, you're going to take a nap. Oh, I want to play in the soccer game. Soccer game's like at one, nap time's at one. Nope, you need to take a nap. Maybe if you get done with your nap, you can get up in time. We'll see. Put him down for the nap. He's asleep. Go talk to mom. Hey, um, what do you think we should do? Do we need to wake him up at one? Because we're really going to hear about it if we don't, you know. And we're kind of wavering back and forth, wavering. And we know what's best for him. He's sick. He needs a nap. And so in the end, I say to my wife, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to do what's best with him, for him, and deal with the outcome or the consequences later, (laughs) you know. We're just going to do what's best for him. He's sick. He needs to rest. That's what we're going to do. If he's upset, we'll talk to him later. We've got to handle it head on with courage and honor. There was risk. There was uncertainty. There's now probably going to be opposition. But we've got to take care of this. We've got to do it. We can't predict the future, but we genuinely want what's in this other person's best interest. And we love them so much that we're willing to take the heat. We're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to have them upset at us because ultimately we're trying to serve them. That's what we're trying to do. And she said, boy, that's, that's parenting, isn't it? I said, yeah, that's probably it. And that's pastoring. That's being a Christian. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. Looking out for their best interest, doing what's best for them, even if you have to take the heat. That's courage, and that's honor. So as we come to the conclusion of this sermon, then, I want you to think back on the whole series and see how this fits together. As Paul summarizes his final command, you know, courage and honor, courage and honor. Yes, there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty and opposition in your life, Corinthians and people of Midland. But stand firm with courage and honor, knowing that Christ has overcome the world. And since Christ has overcome the world, that should give us peace. As a result, it's not on us. Instead, we're simply called to be who we are. Saints, sanctified in Christ Jesus. And with love as our motivation, then we should use our gifts to bring glory to Him, serving the church. Patiently rowing as under rowers while we wait at the window for Christ's return. Courage and honor. Father, we thank you for your grace in our life. And certainly we can't bolster our own spirits and think we'll do it in our own strength. That would be utter foolishness and create chaos. We understand, Lord, when we come to face uncertainty and opposition, there's only one way through, and that's in Christ. In Him and Him alone, we have the victory. We thank you for His armor that protects us against the fiery darts of the wicked one. 
Lord, as we go forward, we pray with Jesus in the weakness of our flesh, but in the power of your spirit, not your will, but ours. In the name of the Father, my Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.